In order for shame to be rendered powerless in our lives, we must be witness. We must be seen. Your gifting is going to seem like things that are just very obvious. They're going to seem like, well, everybody can be this welcoming. Everybody can see that moment where I just saw it. We're going to feel like anybody could do it. And that's what makes it your gifting. Watch how people avoid the face of somebody in need or asking who makes you uncomfortable. Every one of those faces reveal God. We have to remember our past and recount the things that God has done for us. And then that gives us faith to keep going to where he wants us to be. Hey guys, welcome back to the End Sons podcast. I'm Sam. And I'm Blaine. And this week, we're going to be talking about electrons. Yes. Or Blaine and is, bacteria. and I'm going to be asking him what the heck he's talking about. Baking bread, mm. push-ups. What do these things all have in common? <laughs> I don't want to say yet. I know, no, I know. This is, we're going to be weaving this together. But we've been in isolation quarantine for several weeks now, and there have been emotional mental costs to that. There have certainly been relational and financial costs. And one of the arenas is the arena of the physical. They're just very, I think as a species, probably heightened in our awareness of what physical creatures we are. When you hem us in and you restrict certain movements, you restrict the amount of sunlight that you're able to get even just your choices, though maybe your daily routine for some folks who work from home hasn't changed that much. I'm aware every day of what a physical being I am when I am hemmed in and that being has needs. Yes. I'm just going to riff on the relational dimension for a minute. One of my major opportunities for intentional <laughs> growth in this pandemic period has been people. And I've discovered that I rely heavily on regularly seeing people to refresh my view of them. Mm. And this is quite embarrassing, but if I see people on a regular basis, I can consider myself a loving person by default. And then I stop <laughs> seeing people and I'm limited to text messages and Slack messages and emails. And all of a sudden, I notice real resentment sort of building up communication to communication just because electronic communication is terse and emotionless. Mm. And especially if, you know, every other person is a terse texter. And I'm like, oh my gosh. Uh, yes, I think that physical seeing is not replaceable, but I've realized I actually need to do a, a discipline of forgiving, repenting, blessing, praying for the people that I'm closest to under normal circumstances. Because otherwise, I'll get a text from someone and have this kind of dismissive thing that comes up and go, where did that come from? When, when did I, since when am I irritated with that person? Oh, since I haven't seen them in five days and we've only texted. Right. Five days. 
longer at this point for most of them. Oh yeah, much longer. I'm really grateful for the level of technology that we have these days and being in the the countries that have access to these technologies. We're able to see people's faces, we're able to record in different locations. But I think that we'd be kidding ourselves if we try to say that it's meeting all of the needs and that experience of the relational aspect is revealing that just seeing someone's face on a computer screen is not the same thing as being in the same room and smelling them and looking into their eyes and having genuine mirroring going on, having the face. My brain is not doing the same thing. My body is not doing the same thing. When I see your face on this flat screen, you might as well be a painting that's moving around. I'm not interacting with you on like a soul level. We're not actually in sync. And so you're, you, I, we are finding ourselves out of sync with pretty much every other human being right now. Yes. And talking about being with smelling, you know, people are surrounded by a cloud of bacteria that extends about six feet around them. That's why the social distance distance is what it is. Uh, But more if it's windy or if a person is walking. And this is really interesting where you actually reap immediate benefit from being in proximity with the healthy people in your world. (laughs) It's kind of fascinating. But if a friend of yours goes on a run and then you chat afterwards... Don't let them apologize for being sweaty. You know, that thing, oh, I just went to the gym. Sorry, I'm gross. Be like, no, no, no. Breathe them in because uh, <laughs> it's actually helpful to your overall wellness. <laughs> this conversation actually comes out of volume four of Anne's Sons Magazine. And in that volume, we ran an article about physical practices. No surprise there. I feel like we've, we talk about physical practices and the centrality of your body. All the time. All the time. Uh, but this article is important for a different reason. And here it is in a nutshell. Immaterial practices don't anchor your day. Boom. Immaterial practices, meaning everything that we do with our brains? Yeah, well... Much of what we do with our brains is not immaterial, as we will get into in a minute. But I'm talking about that listless feeling at the end of a day, like time has stopped existing or, you know, not much was achieved and people talk about the need for routine. Yeah, that's how I feel most days these days. I honestly, most days, I don't know what week it is, let alone what day. We recognize the need for routine. But the problem is, if we don't put physical practices into our routine, we lose the majority of the benefit. Pick an example at random. You are a writer and you could go, you know, in the morning, I am going to spend a little time with God and then I'm going to write on my computer and then I'm going to turn my attention to my inbox, and then I'm going to tackle some work things, right? Certain organizations call these natural working cadences, what task you do at one time. And that's great. But if you read your Bible on your phone, 
and then type on a computer and then have a Zoom call on a computer, it's not going to do for your body and for your soul what actually routine sort of having a structure is meant to do for you. And can I just get an amen? I mean, how satisfying are the incessant immaterial practices of your day right now? Oh my gosh. It feels like if all I'm doing is living on a computer, I get to the end of the day and my brain feels like mashed potatoes. So it's, (laughs) as I think about folks who don't do a bunch of winter sports, myself included. I got my mercy for that being a season. Take COVID out of the equation entirely and just talk about seasons where we find ourselves indoors for several months with a lack of sunlight and less physical tasks to do. If you're not someone who cross-country skis or enjoys cold walks, like genuine depression sets in. Yes, there's seasonal effectiveness disorder, but there's this like genuine category of your body slowing down. You're not getting the vitamin D you need. You're not getting these, these endorphins from being active. And I just go like, you guys, you wonder why seasonal effectiveness is a thing. Like we are actually experiencing most people is like low laying depression or folks who are already vulnerable to that. Just, oh, I do not personally like those really dark, really cold months because I know the fruit of many days without things that are physical to uh, ground me, release something from me, give me something. Like there's this exchange happening that I'm sure you have science for, but there's your yes and amen to why routine alone isn't the answer. Routine plus something physical, which is obviously an Anson's core belief because we keep talking about the physical and how much it matters. Oh yeah, it is. Actually, one of the core questions of disciples of Jesus forever is the physical because people really want to get around the significance of the incarnation, the significance of miracles being something that happens in the physical world, the restoration of all things being something that's physical and not spiritual. Like this debate touches every part of a person's life. And it's, ah, uh, it fries me many times to go. Every part of our experience is meant to be anchored in physical realities. And when we disconnect from those physical realities, we should expect to do harm. One example Have you bumped into this thing? You go sort of one checker square over from mainstream Western medicine, and you find all of these practices that are finally being studied in a more robust way. But all these practices that go, huh, that sounds like it would make sense, and maybe we should do that. So, earthing. You heard about this? Nope. So, uh, before this pandemic started, my neighbor had a baby. And we were over chatting over the fence one evening, and it was very cool that she was standing with her bare feet outside, and I made some comment about it. And she went, hey, I'm grounding. And I went, I have heard so much about this over the past year, oh my gosh, where in a nutshell, bodies carry electrical loads. Oh, 
I know, which is going to be maybe a little science fiction-y for some folks listening. You're like, this sounds like the Matrix where they use people as batteries because we have electrical charge. It's not just something for healthy, crunchy food stores. It is true. Put on socks, scoot your way across the floor, and then touch a surface and you'll shock it, right? You shocked someone when you tried to do a high five. Yeah, yeah. And go... It just, it's intuitive that that electrical charge that originated in the contact between your feet and the carpet traveled through your body and discharged through your finger. So, like, you are a conductor. Uh, That's why you don't want to get struck by lightning. (laughs) (laughs) There's multiple reasons that I want to get struck by lightning. Careful with the footnotes on this one, because there are some articles here that for the nerds in the audience will be interesting. But there was an article in the Journal of environmental public health. It's almost a decade old now, but it's finally becoming popular. I think that trend sort of applies across crunchy discoveries where there's about, there's a decade long incubation period. Yeah. This is, as an aside, this feels like dad's eating habits. Like 10 years ago, he's munching on goji berries and you're like, where on earth did you get these? He's like, I just got back from Nepal. I had to go harvest them all by hand, but they're amazing. Fast forward 10 years and Whole Foods is like, eat your goji berries for $100 a bag. Like, wow. Anyway, this has happened quite a lot with that. Exactly. So this is one of them. And one of the problems for a person's health over time is inflammation. So people are highly motivated to discover the underlying causes of inflammation. And it turns out that people are meant to have regular exchanges with what this article calls the wealth of electrons on the surface of the earth. Oh my gosh. If you saw that title, would you click on that article? Like be honest, most of you. (laughs) Probably not. It's fascinating. So earthing, you know what earthing is? Earthing is the practice of walking around barefoot Mm. outside. And that's it. And yet, what it does is, over time, your body builds up an electric load uh, just by being a person thinking, digesting, moving. You are not meant to be a reservoir. That's meant to be regularly exchanged or dumped into the earth and into other things. And the crazy thing about earthing is that it actually applies beyond just the super magnet that is the earth. It's like, Objects, especially living things, trees, animals, (laughs) that, you know, you're meant to exchange peripheral electrons with the stuff in your environment. Okay, okay, hang on. We're we're getting too far down the rabbit hole. We started talking about peripheral electrons. Okay. I remember this was like 20 years ago, maybe 15. Do you have the sleep study? Did you come across that in some of your research? Sleep and earthing? Yeah, where they would literally ground a pillow or their whole entire mattress. Did you find that one? <laughs> no, go on. Well, this is one that I remember listening to on the radio. We were listening to NPR on a road trip, which is basically the only time that I was 15 listening to NPR. And they were using grounding techniques for people's beds and pillows to solve sleep issues. So folks who had a hard time of sleeping for a variety of things, they would run a wire from a 
thin sheet of metal. So they put a thin sheet of metal beneath a mattress or beneath a pillow and literally attach a wire to it and run it outside the house and attach that to a pole sunk into the ground. So grounding (laughs) techniques that you use for electronic equipment in your home, they would do for your bed. And the results were freaky with how much across the board it seemed to be solving folks' sleep issues. I remember listening to it going, there is something about our bodies that I do not know and that makes me feel like I need to put on my tinfoil hat or talk to somebody who knows a whole lot more about this than I do. So I just thought that, oh my gosh, like it is, it's do a little bit of digging. It's wild. That article is called Effectiveness of Grounded Sleeping on Recovery After Intensive Eccentric Muscle Loading. So sounds very scientific. (laughs) But yes, it's real. And uh, the point here is yes, go barefoot outside, but it's also an illustration. And we're going to move into another illustration of you are a glorious creature with a body and a soul and a spirit. You are what C.S. Lewis calls an amphibian of the spiritual and the physical world. And you live deeply embedded in both environments. So don't separate yourself. And the argument here is that many of the practices in your everyday life can be adjusted to be slightly more physical, or you can rig your life to fail without them. And it has all these wonderful downstream results. Mm. For example, if you, like me, drink coffee every morning, you can get a box coffee grinder and replace your button pushing with a motion. And Yeah, but wait, do you do this? So, funny story. I wanted for this podcast to run this particular experiment, but my box coffee grinder is a non-essential item that's hung up in the mail. (laughs) Dude, it's so hipster of you. Just... You gotta start the podcast with that sound. That'll be very satisfying. Well, here's one thing that I do very often. I chop wood. And... I'm getting back for you nerds now on sort of motor memory. (laughs) Have you ever wondered why people don't forget to ride bikes most of the time, but forget how to get to a house they lived in or how to get to an apartment they visited several times? No, I've never once thought that, but that's very curious. In terms of memory and what we as people forget and don't forget, it's intriguing. Yeah. I, I sort of assumed that before I was born, all of humanity gathered up and they're like, we need an expression that we can all agree upon for something that we will point to as a means of ease. And riding a bike was just the, the answer everybody decided on. I've never thought about that. Well, most people don't forget how to walk. And then some people do forget how to walk and you go, oh, Yeah. Why doesn't it happen to everyone? Or actually, most of the people that we know have forgotten how to run compared to when they were kids. That's intriguing. People who are musicians into their old age, uh, really interesting, will remember how to operate the instrument longer than they remember tunes. And so... Does it connect to... Um... Often people who are losing memory will still remember how to like the lyrics of a song. Yes, very much so. Body movement 
originates in short-term memory, like everything else. And then over time, it transitions to the highly complex long-term memory, which, by the way, we seriously, the majority of people, including scientists, don't really know how it works. One example, why is it, we know that smell is a wonderful anchor for memory, and that you can smell something that you forgot about decades ago, and all of a sudden the memory comes back. It is a very real question where, location-wise, was that memory that smell could go get it and dredge it up again and activate the, you know, the neural network that was your prom date. Physical activity originates in short-term memory. It transitions to long-term memory. Why this is significant for the life of the soul is that the things you do that are motions actually contribute to your whole being's sense of routine. This is why the Jews shake and bob while praying. They anchor parts of their experience that are treasures to them to something physical. Mm. Sort of intuitive, right? No, clearly not. (laughs) Well, so here's a recommendation. If praying, sometimes it's easy to get distracted. Well, many people prefer to walk and pray or sit in a particular posture or, like me, slowly swing a mall while praying. And actually, it becomes this thing that your soul recognizes and goes like, oh, this is, that. This is a space of opening my heart to engage the beauty of Jesus. And, you know, praying is hard. And I'm going to say that at least every other time, probably it's time to jump in and pray for something. I am frazzled or distracted or I don't want to do it. Yeah, pretty much without exception. Often, as Susan and I are going to bed, she's, you get to the end of the day thoughts. That's, that's the environment where one of us or the other of us needs prayer. And so there's that, hey, can we pray right now? And lying there horizontally without moving my head on the pillow. Gosh, that is a hard place to pray. <laughs> like, can this be one of those 10 second prayers where I just sort of solve everything and then I can go to sleep? No, never, oh, never. I never, I so feel you. This is a place where Emily will sometimes sense my frustration, you know, because I'll do a Hail Mary. I'll be like, yeah. I'm having a hard time sleeping. Uh, you do Jesus. one of those like big cleaver type prayers. You just hope that it's a one and done. Yes. And <laughs> unfortunately, prayer is tied up with motive and desire and the activity of your whole heart. So I shouldn't be surprised <laughs> that my unmotivated prayer is so ineffective. The prayer motivated by irritation, you wanting to go to sleep. Yeah, that's too bad. That was last night for me. Yeah, same here. But M will have to say to me, I think this might be a time, gently, to change your posture. And I'll realize a look and I'm slouched against a pillow just in a posture of utter dismissal. (laughs) Rolling your eyes constantly. Rolling my eyes and go, okay, assume, do with my body what I want to do with my soul. Sit up. Maybe even go into a posture of worship. Do anchor this to a physical reality and go, no, 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 no. I'm not going to pretend that I can roll my eyes at the spiritual world and also expect regular results. I mean, sometimes there's lots of grace 
And I get lots of answers to Hail Marys, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> but to go, hear the voice of Emily in your ear going, maybe you could think about changing your posture to something that reflects what you'd like to happen right now. <laughs> How many sentences begin with the word maybe that aren't somehow instructionary? <laughs> maybe you... Oh, yeah. Okay. Thank you. Here it comes. You were talking about rain. This is like going to give some folks whiplash, but that like you can't be disconnected from your body. You can't be disconnected from the physical world and expect results. You were talking about earthing. We're talking now about being aware of what your body is doing. Our bodies respond really positively to certain things. Like we know that we like the feeling of dirt in our hands, even if we don't like gardening after the fact, we're like, oh, I just, you know, that's an expression that people use. I really loved the feeling of getting my hands dirty. And you're like, why? Yes. Thank you. Okay. Just another wonderful thing. So the Trinity is relational. You know, if you're Tim Mackey, you use the sentence, the Trinity is a community of love, a singular loving community. So we should expect ourselves to exist relationally almost everywhere. To be a self is to be self in relation. And this is true with people. There's a whole field of the study of selfhood that just acknowledges we are ourself in networks of loving relationship. And so when you lose a person, you literally lose a part of yourself. And mm. it's also true that we are ourselves in relationship with our environment, that we talked about this, I forget in an episode, but where we were mentioning trees and going... <laughs> Our soul is designed to receive a contribution from trees and from rivers. And the landscape that you love actually is something that you are in relationship with. Hmm. All that by way of prologue. Dirt. The paper for you nerds is from Psychopharmacology. And I'm going to give you the whole title. Identification and Characterization of a novel anti-inflammatory lipid isolated from Mycobacterium vacai, a soil-derived bacterium with immunoregulatory and stress resilience properties. I almost made it through without stumbling. Almost. But not quite. The point is, there are bacteria that live in dirt, some of which are actually uh, incredibly important to the physiological act of happiness. Uh, yeah, that even I'm coming back out of the science language to how? Like what's hiding in the dirt that actually makes me feel happy? <laughs> so there are tiny little animals living in the dirt that are great for you. Sort of like kombucha is good for you. And when you breathe in the smell of dirt or mulch or turned earth and you go, oh, I love that smell. Yes, you were made to. I remember somebody talking about this as also why we like the smell of rain is that rain is releasing that from the soil. 
pretty much across the board, human beings love the smell of rain, especially right after it's stopped. Like you walk outside, rain in the summer has just come through for half an hour. You go for a walk and the earth smells different. There's something in us that has that sigh that goes like, oh, this is so good. And I've heard the rain, the water is releasing something in the earth that is connected to these dirt, animal, chemical things (laughs) that we actually need. And are like, hey, here you go. Yeah. Yeah. There's a word that I stumbled upon several years ago, but that rain smell, the smell after it rains, Mm -hmm. such a common experience. You think we'd have a word associated with it? And it does. It's petrichor. You go, oh, the air smelled petrichor. I was trying to remember petrichor, where it came from, because that second part is tricky. Petra is rock, obviously. Rock smell. But obviously. Hang on. You're telling me that if I go out and just take a handful of dirt and smell it, that that actually contributes to my body's feeling of wellness? It contributes to my health? Yes. I rely on the ritual of making an AeroPress to kickstart my day, but I've been experimenting with, are there other things that are better? So I've been going outside first thing in the morning, kneeling down on the ground and just smelling the ground and noticing how much the smell varies based on temperature and as spring is coming, the different plant smells are changing and it is very weird. And so nice. Yeah. I. No, yeah. I was just disagreeing with you. I didn't mean to interrupt you. Oh, well, you should try it too. It's a real treat to step out in the morning. And if you do it barefoot, you get a two-four. You ground as well as get your. Well, yeah. And okay. So here's what I'm interested in is that maybe some folks can work their way into this backwards. Like they sort of go, well, I don't really want to go outside and smell dirt. But look at the ways that we use to describe other things we enjoy. And when they have an earthy smell, we actually really like that. Sometimes freshly baked bread, some wines, some coffee, certainly a lot of teas. Like there might be an earthiness or grassiness. There might be something, um, a lot of wines get described with funk and like this barnyard smell. And you're like, we're pointing to the earth and and the dirt and the ways that we have a reaction, even if on the outside, you may not think you're somebody who wants that or needs that. Then you go like, ah, oh, this, this particular hojicha green tea, just got this wonderful grassy riciness going on that you're like, hello, you do actually like it. You're finding it in other places. Yes. Oh my gosh. People are always analyzing the habits of top performers. And what I love is that we could probably sit down without reviewing any of those books and just make the list and be accurate. Given our knowledge of human beings, what are the kinds of things, given my knowledge of myself, where they have to put a workspace free of distractions as something that's important to great creatives? And I go, yeah, didn't need to be told that. Just could look at myself and go, if I can be distracted, will I be? Yes. So if I want to be creative, should I make my environment undistracting. Yes. The next one is the universal walk. I defy you to find a sort of high performer in their field who can, who does not run or walk 
every day. <laughs> it is a habit that you can find everywhere. And more often than not, it is in nature. Abraham Lincoln chose to live some distance from the White House. He preferred to stay in this other house so that he could have the morning and evening horse rides, just kind of out through the woods, slowly plodding along. Lewis walked mm. every day with Tolkien often and go, oh, getting, getting out and smelling things while also moving your body, while also just letting the environment do its work. That is an attainable practice. You know, this is actually something Susie and I do anytime we need to make a big decision and it sort of happened accidentally. We didn't know that we needed exactly all that was going on, but we knew that sitting across the table from each other, trying to do pros and cons, think our way through a big decision wasn't helpful. So we'd go for a walk and it became the way that we try and process large and small choices now is it's like, I don't know, we're not going to even bother sitting down across the kitchen table and trying to hammer this thing out. Let's, let's go for a half an hour to an hour walk as we talk and think and move. And oh my gosh, you guys do this. This is so good. So the encouragement is look at your day and the practices that you do anyway. There are probably practices that you could make more physical. So interesting where we have phones where we can store addresses. That's easy. So we don't have address books or we don't have like a physical calendar. And I love the fact that my calendar and my address book is on my phone. It's very helpful. But I also have a physical calendar. I don't have a physical address book, though I think that I should. Because the act of touching paper and turning pages actually anchors the rest of my humanity in a way that helps me remember more, know where I am more, have a sense of time, and we can sort of go on. Yeah. No, what I like about this, the practice itself is scalable and personal, that the article is about you chopping wood, but the reality is... What you need is to spend some time barefoot in the grass and the earth. And you also need physical alternatives to the ways of doing things. You don't have to become a macho and be able to change your own oil. Though I've done it a couple of times. Every time I do it, I'm like, this is fairly straightforward. How come I don't do this more often? And the answer is convenience and not feeling like a total idiot. So it's scalable. It's like, it, it's specific. It's gosh, like I want to, I want to become the person who is known for doing the daily walk or the daily run. And it builds places in your soul to experience more of God. That's the latent or maybe the manifest function and go, God is real. Therefore, you need to be skilled at engaging reality to have a soul that can experience God in a rich way right? That's foggy and it's philosophical. But what we're saying is change your coffee grinder, find a great no-need bread recipe. And I guarantee you there is a no-need bread recipe that is like two and a half cups of flour, a teaspoon and a half of yeast, a teaspoon of salt and enough warm water to make dough, leave it overnight, 
bake it in the morning. And it is cheaper than buying bread. <laughs> but also it could be a thing where you could incorporate not becoming a baker, but making a very easy bread as the way you get your bread. What are other recommendations? If we were just to imagine here. Oh, I go to like, what's something that you wish you did? And can you begin implementing it for our dad for years? He wanted to get a lathe and make wooden bowls out of trees, but got enough other projects that that one sort of gone on the back burner. And I go like, if that's been a desire for you, we used to make model airplanes as kids. And then we would hang them up with fishing line in different dog fighting positions in the basement. Like we didn't paint them very often. We didn't follow all of the directions, but like there's, there's probably something very specific to, I wish I did X or I wish I knew how to, and just to go, there are more reasons than just you being the person that you thought you would be someday to do that. There's actually not even, yes. you know, I don't, I don't really want to pull out the soapbox because I think at this point you've listened all the way through, you understand it has merit, it has value. It should be physical. It should be outside. And science magazine <laughs> core value number three. And you already are living a full life. So yes, I would also love to have a woodworking shop in the garage. There's no space for that. But I can look at things that I already do and go, oh, I hang on. I could, for the life of my soul, choose one part of my laundry that I dry outside if that's an option for you, like your bed sheets and go, yeah, you know what? It is an extra two minutes, but honestly, it doesn't matter to walk outside and drape this over a chair uh, and go, no, no, that will do real things for your soul. I'm serious. And you already eat, you already have a bedtime routine, or you already text people all day, go, hey, here's a challenge. At the end of the day, as part of your closing down the day routine, piece of paper, write down the names of the people that you were texting with some frequency that day, and then just release them to the care of Jesus. Make that part of your pause where you go, you know, putting a pencil on a piece of paper to acknowledge who you are carrying does more than thinking their names. I hope this episode has stirred some things up for you. Um, I actually like how that sounds earthy to me in this moment. If you're the kind of person who's going to find the research particularly interesting, I think you should check it out because there's a lot of affirming reasons for the earth, for changing some things to be more physical in your world. And it doesn't have to be the biggest thing in the world, but it should be something, especially in this time where we have been physically limited more than potentially any other time in our society. So as we're, as we're making the shift, as we're turning the corner, what's something that you're going to be doing? I think for me, it's going to be burying my nose in my garden for a little while. Mm -hmm.